There's music in the cafe at night and revolution in the air. Dig at harryshill.net and Facebook Harry Brown's Farm. Are you hungry for fresh local foods? The WERU Live and Local Farm to Table Radio Auction has gift certificates for eight great farmers markets in our broadcast area, local craft brews and fruit wines, fresh clams, oysters, fish, dried sea vegetables, smoked seafood, fresh produce and seedlings at 20 different farms, cheeses, dairy products and eggs, tofu from Maine soybeans, beef, pork, chicken, lamb, duck and goat meats, apples, strawberries and blueberries. All this and more is waiting for your bids on Tuesday, June 2nd from 6 to 8.30 p.m. on your live and local community radio station, WERU. Full auction information can be found at WERU.org. Sponsored by Johnny's Selected Seeds and Maine Farmland Trust. All proceeds directly support WERU. And your listening to community WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation. For over 25 years, partnering with donors and nonprofits in communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming worldwide at weru.org. Stay tuned for Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, some have said that islands are the proving grounds for ideas that make communities work. Take energy. Main island residents and businesses pay a premium for heating and electrical energy. But on an island an ocean away in Denmark, residents own the means of producing energy. They make more energy from wind and solar than they consume, selling the surplus into the energy grid. And some folks from Maine went to Samso Island, and I'm glad to have some of them here in the studio and others by phone a little later. Glad to welcome Anna Demio, who's the Director of Energy Education and Management at College of the Atlantic. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. Nice to be here. And Saren Peets. Saren is a fourth-year student at College of the Atlantic, also participated in the trip to Denmark, and um, has been doing some wonderful energy projects back here in Maine. Welcome to you, Saren. Hi, Ron. <laughs> On the phone with us, I believe, is Suzanne McDonald. Suzanne is the Community Energy, energy Director from Island Institute. Welcome to Talk of the Town, Suzanne. 
Thanks, Ron. Good morning. Glad you could be with us by phone. Um, perhaps we'll start with you, Suzanne. Uh, give us a little bit of your own background. How did you get involved in, in both the Island Institute and um, energy work in particular? Sure. Um, well, I've been at the Island Institute for about six years now, and my uh, professional training has been around energy and community organizing, and so this job has been a great fit. I also used to work uh, summers out on Monhegan Island uh, years ago, and that gave me a good taste of island issues and island communities, and that's when I first started to learn about the energy challenges on Maine's island. Mm. And how about you, Anna? How did you get involved in this work? Um, you've got a PhD in all of this stuff, and how did you get interested in it as an engineer? Sure. So my background is in uh, as an electrical engineer, and I worked in industry for many years. And um, more recently, I went back to school to get my PhD in engineering the natural sciences, which was an interdisciplinary PhD that focused on um, three components, smart grid technology, community scale renewable energy based on incremental capital investment. And I just saw a real uh, fit between taking engineering and applying it to uh, energy issues in communities. Hmm. And how did you end up at COA, College of, of the Atlantic? Ah, that's a good story. <laughs> so my husband and I have been doing consulting, engineering design consulting for many years in Southwest Harbor, Maine, and the college contacted me about 10 years ago to ask if I would teach some hands-on engineering courses for the college, and I started doing that in, uh, let's see, 2004 or so, 2005, and uh, slowly migrated into doing more hands-on renewable energy courses, including installing a wind turbine with a class at Beach Hill Farm, building a small electric vehicle, doing several solar practicum courses where students site size and install solar arrays around campus and have continued that sort of project-based engineering energy work ever since. Mm. We'll hear more about that work in a moment. Um, Saren Peets, um, tell us a little bit about your own background as a student oh. and what, what led you to be interested in energy issues. Yeah, um, so... I, when I first came to COA four years ago now, um, I was really interested in sustainability from the perspective of both education and um, also agriculture. Uh, so I started the farm to school program at Connors Emerson in Bar Harbor, um, and then we wanted to put up a greenhouse. So I started talking with Anna about um, the possibility of doing that um, with uh, renewably powered heating systems. Um, and then I just, I took her class, um, Physics and Mathematics of Sustainable Energy, and then found out about the SAMHSA course and have kind of gotten hooked on the whole energy and islands aspect of things, so ever since. Mm. Yeah. Uh, back to you, Suzanne. Um, I understand that Island Institute and College of the Atlantic are in a partnership um, to, to look at these issues. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, we are very fortunate to be a part of a fantastic new initiative called the Fund for Maine Islands, which is a program that launched officially last year to help uh, faculty at College of the Atlantic and staff at the Island Institute to find new ways to collaborate around a few core areas of our work, energy being one of them. And so uh, for the next several years, we'll have the opportunity to access funds for collaborative projects around energy, agriculture and food, adaptation to climate change and island ecology. And so this was the first uh, initiative of that new program. Tell us a little bit about um, the Island Institute's connection to um, island residents and energy. Um, you've been at this work for uh, a number of years. Sure. Um, well, Maine Island residents have the distinction of paying some of the highest energy costs in the entire nation. Um, many of our islands pay between two and five times uh, electric rates that we pay here at the mainland. 
and most folks are paying uh, anywhere close to a dollar more per gallon of heating oil to heat their homes during the winter. And so cost is a, a serious challenge for uh, most of our communities when it comes to energy. And so we've been fortunate enough to partner with different organizations out on the islands, whether it be the local electric cooperative or or individuals uh the schools have been big partners of ours and uh, basically my job is to help local folks find ways to help their communities uh save money when it comes to energy use and to be a little bit more sustainable in in terms of environmental impact of energy and so we're pursuing a a large swath of programs ranging from energy efficiency um swapping out light bulbs in folks homes doing air sealing and insulation work on on people's homes uh and also looking at renewable energy, um, primarily community-owned either wind or solar projects that can bring down the cost of electricity on the islands as well. Mm. And um, for all of you, um, what led you to to uh, consider SAMSO Island? Uh, Saren, maybe start with you. What what did you learn about SAMSO in the, in the course that led up to your visit? Um, well, we actually started out on, on SAMSO Island. So the first three weeks of, of the SAMSO course we spent on the island, um, and we, we had some summer reading in, t- in order to prepare us for that. Um, but we, we spent uh, the majority of our days working in um, the SAMSO Energy Academy and getting courses and lessons um, from the staff there on different aspects of both community facilitation um, towards uh, getting people interested and excited about doing energy work um, and also more technical aspects of, of renewable energy and um, wind and solar projects and biomass. So, mm. And Anna, as an engineer, you must have been fascinated to see what, what was going on in SAMSO. Why, did, why was SAMSO Island the place that you, you chose to, to visit? Sure. So uh, SAMSO is very interesting and not just for uh, the technology, although that's interesting, but how they managed to do this within the community is uh, fascinating. And so Soren Hermanson, who was who is the, um, the director of the Energy Academy and was the force behind the whole SAMSO conversion, he came to Maine about five years ago and he visited the Island Institute and gave a talk at COA. And at that time, um, we were able to connect with him, both myself and Jay Friedlander, who taught the course with me. We're fairly new to COA at that time, and we both kind of said, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could take a group of students to SAMHSA and really learn all the aspects of uh, converting to renewable energy? So that's not just the engineering, but the economics and the big piece, which is the community piece. And so we went back and forth with Soren over the years, talking and and thinking about this. And then he came back um, the year before last to speak again at COA. And at that time was when the Fund for Maine Islands uh, Collaborative came together. And it made sense because he had been been out on some of the islands with Suzanne and the Islands too. He'd been at COA and had talked to students there. So it was just a really good fit. uh, And the timing was right. Mm. So in addition to um, faculty and students from College of Atlantic, Suzanne, you had um, staff from Island Institute and um, Island residents accompanying you to SAMHSA. Yeah, we really recognize this as a once in a lifetime sort of transformative opportunity for um, islanders who are really working on the ground to change the way energy is used on their island. And so we ran a competitive process. We had um, almost 30 islanders from up and down the coast apply to be selected to be a part of this program. And we were able to select five um, islanders basically um, encompassing the whole coast. We had uh, Peaks Island and Long Island down in Casco Bay represented 
Monhegan and Vinyl Haven in the Midcoast and Swans Island down east were all able to send representatives to be a part of this program. And starting with you, what, what were some of the lessons that you and your colleagues um, thought might have um, traction um, back on the islands of Maine? And we'll be talking with uh, one of your colleagues um, a little bit later, Nate Johnson from Long Island in Casco Bay. But what are some of the other things that people said, well, I think this would work in Swans Island or this would work on, on Vinyl Haven? Sure. I think, Anna, as Anna said earlier, the community ownership model has really resonated out on the islands and I think in Maine as well. Um, folks here, especially on the islands, are, are used to doing it themselves and, and taking projects uh, into their own hands. And so the idea that the, many of the projects on SAMSO are, are locally owned is something people were really excited about. In fact, as Anna mentioned, when Soren was in Maine uh, about six, seven years ago, he actually went out to Vinyl Haven to see the site where the Fox Islands wind turbine would, uh, wind project would eventually be developed. And so the idea of, of local islanders taking control of their energy future is probably what resonated the most um, with our islanders here in Maine. And wh what did any of you learn about um, why uh, folks in Denmark um, hit on this model? Um, they're a, a capitalist country for the most part, although Europe ha has more social leanings. But community ownership of power is, is a pretty significant change in how we think about power, at least in the United States. Anna? Sure. The, the thing about SAMHSA is that they had um, – this whole project was really about economic rejuvenation. So mm -hmm. their main industry, which was a meat processing plant, was um, was going off island. And so there was a real concern. And Soren Hermeson, being a native son of the island, having been a farmer at the time when this started, he was an educator, said, we need to keep jobs here. We need to reinvent ourselves. So part of the inspiration of being on SAMHSA is seeing how a group of fairly conservative, agriculture-minded uh, people pulled together to do something that in our country we think of as very left-leaning, um, conservation-minded, and that's really not um, what you find when you get there. It's that it made sense um, economically to do this, to train uh, electricians and plumbers in order to do the central heating system and to care and take care of the wind turbines, to have farmers agree to grow the straw and the other biomass for the central heating plants and to uh, help train builders in, in green building design and different insulation practices. And they got there step by step in a community model that made economic sense. Mm. So was it a sense of survival for Samso Island um, as much as we think about our islands off the coast of Maine? Um, uh, go ahead, uh, Saren. Oh, certainly, I think it was. Yep. Um, the, there was, I think, a sense of a, a panic a little bit on Samso um, after the slaughterhouse closed because that was their main source of, of income. Um, and so they did have to reinvent themselves, and I think we're we're seeing a little bit of a parallel with that right now on main islands. And, and how do we how do we sustain those island communities? How do we make them vibrant and healthy? Um, and that this was one way that this island in Samso, um, that community, came up with to. Mm -hmm. to um, determine that, yeah. And Suzanne, what would you add in terms of, of the motivation of, of islanders here um, in Maine in terms of their interest in, in alternative energy? 
Um, you know, we have islands that are pursuing very different projects up and down the coast, but I think what is uh, what's, what they hold in common is the fact that they're trying to prioritize what's most important for their own community, and they're trying to develop a process that works for their own island. So it's not necessarily that we can take the experience in Denmark and replicate it exactly here in Maine. In, in fact, in some cases, there was some frustration that, that we couldn't do that. As, <laughs> as you said, Ron, the, the government uh, is able to actually provide a great deal of incentives to be able to make a lot of um, this work economic. And that's because they've set very aggressive standards when it comes to um, carbon emissions reductions and therefore reaching those goals with renewable energy generation and, and providing feed-in tariffs for developing renewable energy projects. And that's what a lot of these farmers were able to access and benefit from. Our islanders heard about that and were a little discouraged because we don't have that here in the U.S. at either the federal level or, or the state level. And so in some ways, they've got to think a little bit harder and sharpen their pencils to find ways to make the economics work and to make sure that their process is engaging their community as best they can and that they're coming up with a sustainable long-term solution for their own community. So it's not, uh, it's not like it translates exactly, but I think the whole... Um, idea of a community coming together to build a more sustainable future is something that resonates with with most Maine Islanders. And you've been um, coordinating an an annual energy conference for Maine Islanders uh, for a number of years. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that initiative and and how that connects. Sure. Thanks for asking. It's been a really exciting thing to see grow over the last few years. We started in 2010 with about uh, 15, 20 people around the table. And and last year we had more than 150 people in Portland. It's grown from a main focused event to be actually regional. So we have islanders from uh, islands all over New England. And uh, thanks to some new partnerships, we were actually able to bring people representing remote villages in Alaska to be able to come and learn how communities are coming together here in Maine to build a more sustainable energy future. And so we're looking forward to hosting that event again this year on November 6th and 7th back down in Portland again and hope to have an even broader audience to share what works out on islands when it comes to energy. And as I said, we're going to hear from um, uh, Nate Johnson in a little while. Uh, Before we let you go, are there other particular um, initiatives that came out of the Samso Island um, visit that uh, you'd like to highlight um, on some of the the islands in Maine? Sure. So the islanders were able to use the Samso experience and work with the fantastic students at College of the Atlantic to really launch projects of their own on the islands. And so it was helpful to get that inspiration and to have an extra set of hands to do some preliminary feasibility work on the projects that were of interest to them and their communities. And so we were able to wrap that work up uh, right around Thanksgiving. And since then, each one of the islanders has progressed with their own individual projects. We have information on our website, uh, fundformainislands.org, that details each each project and, and what everybody has been up to. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a wide variety of things that they're working on, but uh, there's a lot of interest in renewable energy generation. You'll hear from Nate about the potential to use solar power uh, on Long Island and also on Vinyl Haven. There's interest in developing solar in order to generate more power locally during the summer months when they have their peak population 
Uh, on Monhegan Island, there have been a number of different energy initiatives taking place over the years, but what really resonated with our participant there, Marion Chaffee, was the fact that SAMHSA had developed a long-term 10-year plan to reach their goals. And so Monhegan, through Marion's leadership, is about to sort of take a step back and start to plan a longer-term vision under which all of these different energy projects will fall under to help bring them uh, away from their diesel power generation on the island that's costing them 70 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity. And then um, another project related to the cost of electricity is on Swans Island, where Tom McAloon has been helping the local electric cooperative look at alternatives uh, in terms of making that entity more sustainable and affordable for residents on Swans Island in Frenchboro. So uh, I think it's important to underscore that, you know, these project can t- projects can take months and years, and it's a long slog, but I think the inspiration of, of how the folks on SAMSO really stuck with it for more than a decade now means that change can happen, as Anna said, incrementally, step by step. And so we're excited to be supporting these islanders step by step as they move forward with these very important projects. And you said that they're explained in more detail on your website. Just remind us what that is. Sure. It's fundformainislands.org. And you hit projects and you can learn more about the Sierra, the Collaborative for Island Energy uh, uh, Research and Action Program is what we're calling this initiative. Well, thanks so much for being with us on Talk of the Town. Um, Suzanne, and, and good luck with this wonderful work. Thank you so much. Take care. That's uh, Suzanne McDonald, who's the Community Energy Director at Island Institute. In the studio with us, we have Saren Peets, who is a fourth-year student at College of the Atlantic, along with Anna Demio, who is a lecturer at College Atlantic and also the Director of Energy Education and Management. Um, Saren, you worked on Peaks Island, one of your mm-hmm. things that you did as follow-up to your SAMSO visit. Tell us a little bit about that. So um, when we were on SAMSO, uh, there was a lot of... Um, uh, uh, coordination concerning um, the the schools on the island and how education for even very young children was incorporated um, into this whole transition to renewable energy. Um, and so we kind of, because Peaks Island um, does have its own school, even though it's part of the Portland School District, um, we, we found it to be a really good opportunity in order to start with the children mm. um, there and teach them about um, energy literacy um, in order for them to become advocates in their own community for um, uh, furthering sustainable energy. Um, so we looked at uh, actually renovating the school building with the help of the children. Um, and the idea was that we could use the school building as a demonstration project. So we could um, test technologies there and kind of prove them within the island community in order to make them um, replicable uh, in both businesses and homes on Peaks. Um, so we looked at uh, insulating the building, um, which is was built in like, I think, 18, the late 1800s. Um, beautiful old brick building, very challenging to retrofit. Um, but we, we looked at insulating that, doing a new heating system, and we also uh, counted all the light bulbs in the building with the students and then calculated kilowatt hours and um, tried to figure out how much the school could save if they switched over to LEDs. And the students really loved that and really benefited a lot from that, I think. so. That's yeah. the kind of uh, project-based learning, Anna, that you're um, so involved in at the, at the back at College of Lenox. Tell us a little bit about what initiatives you're undertaking with, with the help of students. Sure. So we teach several classes at COA where students are engaged in projects to uh, look at energy issues on campus and in the community. So each term or pretty much each term, students have the opportunity either through courses or independent studies or 
work-study positions, senior projects, to be involved in this kind of series of ongoing projects. And the way it's working now is that there are projects that are at different stages. So there's a list of projects that haven't yet been started, and students will take on those, anywhere from looking at a heating analysis of campus to working with a business in, on the island to look at their energy issues and help them devise a plan. And so those intro projects, students come in and they do an analysis and create a feasibility study that can then be passed on to the next student or group of students. And in this way, we can have some continuity, which is a really challenging th thing to do at a, at a college where we live term by term. You know, at COA, it's, everyone thinks in 10-week blocks. And so these projects are not 10 weeks long. Often they are months or even years. And so there's a whole range of projects. Currently, the projects that had come out of the SAMHSA work that we're really excited about are a community solar project that uh, had been worked on by two students, Sam and Surya, during the SAMHSA project. And that was work that they were building on from a summer intern who had been working with a partner of ours, MDI Clean Energy Partners, which is a company that helps, um, that partners with us to do renewable energy projects across MDI. So they had um, taken on that project and taken it to a certain point, and then there are students currently in the Physics and Math of Sustainable Energy course that are now working on this project with the hope of implementing a local community solar project on COA land in the fall. Mm. Mm. Well, let's go now to um, uh, Long Island, and Nate Johnson is with us. Uh, welcome to Talk of the Towns, Nate. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so, so much for um, stepping in. I understand that your work, um, your um, main work is, um, uh, paid work is with Ocean Renewable Power Company. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you connect that interest uh, with your um, interest as a resident of Long Island. Sure. Um you know, the, the folks that are familiar with Ocean Renewable Power Company were a, a developer of tidal energy technology and projects. And, um, you know, one of the cornerstones for, to our success as a company has been um, our ability to really engage with the community and provide economic development opportunities. And I think that's probably um, the most synergistic approach to a lot of these um, initiatives on the main island. That, um, you know, there's um, every island is drastically different. Um, both in the challenges and the opportunities in Maine. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about Long Island, but, um, you know, what what they all do need is, um, you know, other methods for sustainability, and, and energy is uh, a cornerstone to that. So, um, you know, this, this program, not only uh, the opportunity itself um, to the specific island, but the opportunity to work with um, the professionals at the Island Institute and, and COA uh, staff and students uh, was a great opportunity for myself. And tell us about the the project that you're undertaking. You've got a kind of a um, a gateway um, to renewable energy that you're imagining as a as a as a physical demonstration. Sure. Um, the you know as I said, every island along the main coast is drastically different. Um, you know the um, energy challenges on Long Island, Casco Bay, where I live, um, you know, a little bit more subtle than places like Monhegan or Matinicus when where you deal with it on a daily basis. Um, Long Island is connected by a subsea cable to the mainland grid, so we pay the same cost of power or electricity as the folks on the mainland do, um, but um, we do pay a higher cost for any fuel on the island. It's usually about 25% higher, um, both for vehicles and vessels um, and for um, home heating oil or propane. So um, when you get a situation like that, um, you know, introducing renewables is um, can get kind of complicated, and, and so... Um, 
you know, we're not faced with the burdens on some of the other islands. So what uh, I really focused on in, in, in the project in collaboration with the Institute and, and the students is looking at um, what renewable energy technologies are appropriate um, based on what the resources on the island, whether it's wind or solar or other, um, whether it's economically viable given the current structure, um, and then what is most socially acceptable, um, you know, the community engagement piece. Um, and that's been a terrific process. We're very early in the process, um, but we've been able to um, you know, generate a, a real nice feasibility study about looking at potential op- options um, at, uh, adjacent to some of the town facilities in the, in the ferry dock, um, which is highly visible, but um, it's also not within the visibility of people's homes. Um, so it's a great uh, area to uh, look at renewables and and try to incorporate potentially other aspects like electrical vehicle charging um, and or, or solar canopies um, for uh, vehicle store uh, parking near the near the ferry, um, and even potential future integration with diesel electric hybrid vessels um, because of the, the care facility there. So um, it's been a, a great experience, and, and I've really enjoyed uh, uh, the time spent with the institute and the students. And Nate, last question: um, What are some of the reactions of of uh, some of the more um, conservative islanders about the, these new approaches? How are they um, uh, kind of thinking about these things? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the the feedback um, that I've received to date has been overwhelmingly positive. I think that um, it really gets back to um, trying to identify what the resource is what is economically viable so you know what the benefits to the town are economically um and then you know also you know the socially a- uh, acceptable aspect and i think if, if you meet those criteria um it makes a lot of sense to, to move a project forward but but any one of them can certainly prohibit uh, advancement of technologies well thanks so much for being with us and talking a little bit about your work we've got a, a, perhaps a question um, uh, from uh, Anna Demio before we let you go though it wasn't it sure. wasn't so much a question hi Nate it wasn't a question as a comment about how great it was for the students to work with Nate on this project and Nate's experience with ORPC really helped and the fact that he is not just a native son of the island but I think dates his family dates back for many generations on the island and so students the experience is Um, just phenomenal for them to be able to go out to a community and start to look at the island as a whole system. So what are the engineering constraints, measuring and taking data about the the solar resources um, there, as well as looking at the economics, what does the town pay, what do the citizens pay, how does that work? And then to look at the social constraints, what do the residents, what will they support and what won't they support, and getting to know them and the, the community at long was so welcoming to these three students and having them be part of some of their potlucks and community dinners, and it was just a great experience overall. Mm. Well, Nate, again, thanks, and, and good luck with your work as you go forward. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Okay. Nate Johnson from Long Island. He's one of the, the uh, uh, project coordinators for uh, follow-up work from Samso Island, the visit that uh, Island Institute um, folks, uh, College of Atlantic folks, and island residents took um, back nine months ago, something like that. Um, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns, and in the studio with us we have Anna Demio, who is the Director of Energy Education and Management, and Saren Peets at uh, college and actually she's a fourth year student um, Anna what are some of the other things that that uh, I know 
COA has a good reputation in terms of being quote unquote green um, throughout the the country, but you're you're saying let's make this real in some way, and that has to do with how you do your own energy on campus. What what what, what kinds of things are you envisioning? Absolutely. So COA got a lot of publicity. Uh, some oh I can't remember how many years ago now. Uh, to become the first carbon neutral college in the U.S. And we did this uh, by buying carbon offsets primarily. And it was um, a big deal at the time, and uh, it was a, a bold move. But as time went on and, and the uh, idea of carbon offsets started to shake out and more and more colleges came on board to, to doing this sort of thing, COA did some personal reflection and said, we don't know if this actually is what, how we want to be carbon neutral. It doesn't align with our values and our mission as much as we had anticipated originally. And so when Darren Collins came on as president, we kind of did a rethinking of this and we made what I think is a, was a very brave move to say we're no longer going to be carbon neutral, but rather we are going to create an energy framework that gets us to be a campus that no longer uses fossil fuels. And we're going to do that through our educational program. And that has been a huge shift, and it's been very exciting to have uh, these small, medium, and large projects that we do across campus. So the way to do that is we collect baseline data. We have a student, Nick Urban, who was also on the SAMHSA course for his senior project. He went and looked at all of campus and collected some pretty solid baseline data. And from that, we can start envisioning what our target goals are and how to get there through classes, senior projects, work study, independent studies, and our summer internship program. Mm. And so one of those things is looking at each building, really, and saying, well, what's the energy used in this building and how can we make a difference? Absolutely. Mm. And and another large part of that also is education. So we want we want education to be front and center, not just for our students, but for our faculty and staff, and even for the community beyond, is what can we learn from this and how can we share those, those lessons with other people. And as I mentioned about the students on Long, it is incredibly valuable for students to be able to, to walk into a project, whether it's uh, a building on campus or a business on MDI or with an islander on an island, and really look at the whole system. And that is so much uh, in line with how the, the curriculum at COA is, the whole idea of human ecology, that everything's intertwined. And so we have to look at the engineering, but we also have to look at the social constraints, the um, politics, and the um, economics as well. Mm, that systems approach. Well, we're going to go now to um, an interview with Gary Friedman. Gary is a member of the town council. But I think, you, Gary, you also have a long history with College of Atlantic. Um, introduce yourself a little bit and tell a little bit about your background. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Ron. Um, I've uh, been involved with COA. As, uh, my wife was a student back in the 80s. I worked in a development office and um, have since been involved in nonprofit development over the years. But um, I'm now uh, active in sustainable energy through the town council with the town of Bar Harbor. And um, for the last two years, we've been working to evaluate our various town buildings for their potential to host photovoltaic uh, generating um, arrays and uh, also looking at our town lands for community solar. And tell us a little bit about the, the uh, um, uh, possible solar voltaics on town buildings. How is that project going? Well, um, we partnered with a COA student who is doing a senior project to help us evaluate all of the, the town properties, our, our municipal buildings and our schools. And um, we settled on 
the new public work site, which has good southern exposure and room for enough photovoltaics to power half the municipality's electrical needs. And in addition, there's room there for a community solar uh, installation where nine residents could um, uh, uh, basically buy a solar array jointly to have that solar energy credited toward their home energy bills. Mm. And and so where is that um, in the in the process? This is kind of town policy as well as the the uh, practical details of the feasibility. Um, you've got a vote coming up in in uh, early June. Is that right? Right. right. Um, it turns out that we need uh, town meeting approval for leasing our land for uh, for anything, including a solar installation, which would be um, the situation with a community solar that would be owned by the the resident shareholders in that that uh, initiative and even to power the town's um, uh, electrical needs we need to enter into a power purchase agreement with a third party who would finance and own that site because of the nuances of of uh, uh, solar economics it, it really is important to be able to take advantage of tax credits and uh, depreciation on the system which is the way that um, uh, it was done at the college of the atlantics uh, uh, solar installation. So we're looking for approval for that 30-year lease at our June 2nd town meeting, and um, there's been mostly positive uh, support for it, but some concerns about um, about leasing our town roofs for um, for a community solar project that would benefit individual residents. And what's been reaction of other towns? Have other towns um, expressed interest, um, either locally or throughout throughout the state, in the in the process that Bar Harbor is going through? Um, we've uh, we've we've had some positive um, uh, queries from uh, groups like the Sierra Club, which has a climate change initiative, and um, we've participated in conferences uh, with other towns that are are considering what they can do. Um, I'd say that that uh, Bar Harbor is the first town to consider a solar farm on municipal land. Um, there are uh, solar farms proposed in other towns, but not on town land. Freeport's uh, exploring doing a group buy, they call it Solarize, where, where residents can join in buying solar panels and, and get up to a 20% discount on those systems. So there's a lot of different strategies out there, and we're paying close attention to those and would like to see Bar Harbor become a leader in in uh, solarizing uh, our community. Great. Well, Gary, good luck with your work, and and I'm sure that um, we'll have you back on to to uh, in in a couple of years to say what lessons did we learn and and how's it going. Okay. Thanks, Ron. Gary Friedman is a town council member um, in the town of Bar Harbor, and Bar Harbor is considering both uh, solar uh, arrays for generating electricity uh, offset the town town expenditure of resources, but also a community solar project. Uh, Anna, how does community solar work? What's the what's the the nature of that? How does it actually work? Sure. So the way community solar works is that you have one centralized array some at some location. And that in the in Maine, the rules are that you can have up to 10 owners of that array. So each state has a different set of rules. Community solar is um, just a really hot topic right now in solar across the country. And states are scrambling to figure out what their rules are. So in Maine, it's 10 owners. So let's say we have 100 panels and 10 owners uh, to divide that. And then what Amira does, which is our which is our provider, is they distribute the 
the power accordingly to each house. So if I own 10 panels, then that would offset my house. And so to do this, it takes um, some structure. So normally that people can, I shouldn't say normally because there's no normal yet, but you can uh, form an association like a condo association or form an LLC. And so there's paperwork involved. So people want the questions people normally ask when they're getting involved in this is, what happens if I sell my house? Um, and the, these 10 panels are offsetting my electricity at my home. Does that come with me? What if I move out of state? What happens if a panel goes down and there's um, repair costs? And, and these are the sorts of things we have to work out. And um, Revision has been helping uh, the town and MBI. Revision Energy. Revision Energy has yeah. been um, very helpful to the town to, to work these questions out. And uh, Willie Osborne from MDI Clean Energy Partners has been working on this quite a bit in Massachusetts as well as here in Maine. And the, these folks are really paving the way for us. And, and this gets back to what Suzanne um, had mentioned about the incentives on SAMHSA is that, yes, on SAMHSA they have different incentives and different structures and regulations, and, and it isn't one-to-one -one transferable. But what we have to do here in the state is figure out what are our what are the things that we can leverage, such as power purchase agreements and community solar and being creative in the way we um, form businesses, such as LLCs or L3Cs. And so how can we take the same tactics that they used and transfer them um, to be tactics that work within our political, social, and economic structure. Mm. I'll open up our phone lines now if we've got questions for our guests here in the studio, um, Anna Demio and Saren Peets, both at College of Atlantic. Please give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378 as we talk about community energy, bringing the lessons from SAMSO to Maine Islands. Anna, it sounds like the technology um, in many cases is is fairly well worked out in terms of solar, for instance. Mm -hmm. And it's really the political systems and the social kind of connections that you need to work on to make this all this work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One of the, the most exciting projects that came out of the SAMHSA course is the home heating uh, energy audit project. And this is, this is very old technology. This is about making sure that we don't have leaky homes and we have one of the oldest housing stocks in the country here in Maine. And so how do we go about plugging up the holes, better insulating, and uh, therefore reducing our costs. So this is not a technological problem. It's a social problem. And what happens time and again is homeowners or business owners, we're busy. We, we, we have busy lives. And we, as though we think, yes, I'd like to do that, the, the, all of the mechanics to actually, who do I contact? How does it happen? How much it is? Are there incentives? Kind of falls by the wayside. So what happened on the SAMHSA course is we had two students working on an MDI home energy audit and air sealing project, and they used COA faculty and staff as their their guinea pigs or their their test, test pilots yeah. <laughs> to to do a bulk purchase of energy auditing and air sealing uh, for their homes, and so they were able to actually implement. 12 homes over the course, well, six homes in the fall term during the SAMHSA course, and then both of those students did independent studies in the winter term and were able to do six more. And so that's 12 homes on MDI that had energy audits and air sealing, and because they did it as, um, as a bulk, not only did they get some cost savings, but they were able to reap all the benefits of efficiency main uh, effectively, and they had somebody kind of handhold them right through the whole process. 
And now there's a group in the Physics and Math Sustainable Energy course that is porting this project to MDI and opening it up to MDI residents to try to get uh, the housing stock of local locals to be able to have these energy audits and air sealing. And Saren, through her work in the hatchery this term and her senior project, is um, expanding that to businesses and offering uh, bulk purchases of uh, energy audits and air sealing for uh, the businesses. And then that work hopefully will lead to bulk purchases for insulation and hopefully for heating systems, heat pumps. And we're working with some people for um, uh, the idea of doing a centralized, not a centralized, but a centralized service for pellet boilers on the island. Mm. So Sarah, tell, tell us a little bit about the, the hatchery and um, your connection with island businesses. Yeah, so um, I am doing a senior project right now where I'm exploring different um, potential projects for energy work um, on MDI and um, and possibly working in some, some business um, aspects into that. And so I've been looking at um, the idea of contacting different businesses along uh, main corridors in the different towns on the island um, and getting them on board with uh, this whole idea of saving money through the energy um, auditing and air sealing packages. And the benefit of that is the bulk purchasing. And so you get these services from an accredited auditor, um, but you get them at a, re a reduced price because you're working with your community to come together and, and you know, mm. um, yeah. So, so is that the first step for any homeowner? I mean, I think of our listeners um, this morning um, on Talk of the Towns, um, they're saying, well, I know my energy bills are high. What do I do? Is an energy audit the first thing, Anna? That's absolutely the, the first step. And uh, I think people will be people are often surprised at how much savings they can garner from doing a simple energy audit and three hours of air sailing, which is the minimum required for the efficiency main rebate. And the the price, the savings that you can um, get from that is is really something. Mm -hmm. The so the give, thing it, that give us some some. How much does an average energy 15%. cost? 15 percent. 15 of your energy bill. Yes. Okay. Yes, you yeah. can save 15 percent of your heating bill um, if you air seal, air seal your home. Is the average. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. One thing that we found in doing this work is that there is a shortage of energy audits in Hancock County. Energy auditors mm -hmm. in Hancock County, and so we were reaching out um, in some cases beyond Hancock County to find energy auditors who could do this work. And so one of the initiatives that came out of this um, original SAMHSA initiative is to try to coordinate an energy auditor class at COA for local builders or um, maybe electricians or plumbers that would like to expand their business by offering energy auditing services. This is something that normally would cost uh, a person somewhere around $1,500 for the course and the certification. And so right now there are students looking into offering a course at COA that would be um, offer that at a reduced rate. Mm. And so that is in the works and uh, hopefully we'll have more information on that next year. Mm. It seems to me that um, building contractors are one of the, the main audiences that need to be um, part of your discussions oh, because the, yeah. the technology that they learned was probably 10, 15, 20 years ago and energy you know, has risen and fallen in terms of a concern and just how to construct a good home is, yeah. is probably key as well. Yeah, and similarly to what Anna mentioned about, you know, it's difficult um, for homeowners to be able to access new information and, and stay updated on that because, you know, our lives are so busy these days. I think the same thing applies for um, contractors, you know, to have somebody like, you know, see a group of CUA students to kind of um, walk them through the education process in order to update their, their skills and knowledge, I, I think is wonderful. So. I 
I can imagine a little bit of resistance there. There are people who have done yes. things their yes. way for a long time. Certainly. So um, a lot of this is about breaking down um, mm -hmm. um, that kind of yeah. resistance. And, and also uh, creating a pool of marketable skills. You know, what are people interested in, in having um, in a contractor these days? Is energy auditing something that people want? And that's what we're really finding um, is that it is something that's in demand. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I remember a, a session that you led where you asked people to think about um, energy in very practical terms and, and how much energy do we use. We know how much our, our cars get in terms of miles per gallon. That's a pretty common figure that we, we kind of track on a daily basis or a weekly basis. What about our energy use in the home? How do we begin, get a handle on, on that? It's a good question is that... Um, we do all have a sense, an intuitive sense of distance and time and how long it's going to take us to walk or drive or bike somewhere. And we don't have that same sense of what's a kilowatt hour and uh, how much heating, how many BTUs do our, does our house need for heating. And as we start to change the way we, we produce and uh, transfer energy, whether it's in our heating systems or in our electricity grid, we really have to raise the energy literacy across the country. And so... Um, the is that because we've we've accepted energy as a commodity and it's been delivered to us? So all we have to do is pay the bill. Is that part of the technology? You know, yeah, there's a it's a lot of hidden um, like background knowledge. You know, we don't see how how necessarily our energy is produced or what necessarily that unit is that comes on our bill. We do just just pay it, uh -huh. right? Yeah, definitely. The 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 saying goes that. The electricity grid is a lot like air, is you don't think about it until you don't have it anymore. Mm. And, and when you think about your electricity bill, uh, it's this, you could equate it to if you went out to dinner um, every day of a month, and at the end of the month you got one bill, one number. It didn't say what you ate or, or anything, it just gave you the bill at the end of the day. Um, that wouldn't be very helpful to you, and we probably wouldn't want to just pay we the bill that way. Right, right. We wouldn't change our, our behavior or our habits anymore. Uh, and one of the things they did on SAMHSA, which um, I think is very applicable to here in Maine, is that when they devised this plan and they had set up central heating systems, so they went and anybody who lived in the centers of towns, they, they built these three central heating systems that were going to be heated by um, biomass. But then on the houses on the outskirts of town, they converted those to either uh, pellet furnaces and or heat pumps. And so in order to do that, they had to train retrain all of the, the plumbers and the electricians on the island. And so what happens again and again is that uh, although an electrician or let's say a plumber was going to sell you a brand new boiler for your business or your home, most likely that technology is 30, 40 years old. And it's not, it's, it's just what they've been doing all along. So how do we um, change how do we educate our our local mm -hmm. builders and show that not only not that this is just a change but this is going to help your business mm. and and that's yeah. what we're really trying to get to one mm. 625 9378 if you've got questions um, or comments about um, how we think about community energy both as homeowners and as businesses and as full communities give us a call one 625 9378 our guests in the studio are Anna Demio, who is Director of Energy Education and Management and also lecturer at College of Atlantic, and Saren Peets, who is a fourth-year student at College of Atlantic. What are some of the, the challenges that you see in, in, in kind of breaking down um, the, the community apathy, if you will? What, what um, in SAMHSA, it was kind of survivability. 
on many of the main islands, it feels like survivability. Maybe that's not quite so so um, keen on on re in regular towns. Yeah. What are some of the things that might lead people to say, "Oh, I think I want to do an energy audit," or "I want to take the next step"? What do you think? Well, I think that part of it is making these things more accessible to people. So it's not that people don't want to do energy audits; they just don't have the wherewithal to know where to begin and that's what happens again and again people approach me and said i really want to do this mm -hmm. but what this is and how to even get started and so the more uh the more we can educate people and give them easy paths of entry is going to be really crucial okay. going forward we have a phone call um that person called one 625 9378 i'm glad you're on talk of the towns if you'd give us the your first name and where you're calling from and then go ahead with your question or comment please uh, this is Peter from Brooks. Just a quick comment. Um, I think the key is to not just uh, retrain the uh, technicians and, and um, service people, but it's to change how uh, we rig our homes and, you know, spaces to consume less energy. The accoutrements of our culture were all designed 50, 75 years ago when energy was not an issue. It was for cheap. And so all of our appliances and everything and how we live needs to be rethought. Mm. You know, I've uh, been living off grid for eight years, and I redesigned my space so that I'm, like, targeting the high energy users creatively and alternatively. For example, I pump my water by hand with a and hand pump, you know. Anyhow, uh, that's all I want to say is that we need to use less energy, and we can use less energy. We can be very comfortable, lead modern lives with hugely less. I probably use um, one-third of a kilowatt hour per day, where the average American home uses between probably 20 or 30. Uh -huh. And so that's like a vast, a vast, uh, difference and that's where the answer lies is using micro energy creatively nano energy it's like that's where the uh, cutting edge of our technology needs to be applied not for toys and weapons <laughs> good point thanks so much for your call this morning from brooks uh, 1-866-625-9378 perhaps you've got comments about community energy bringing lessons from samso island in denmark to to maine anna a comment Sure, the caller makes a good point about our uh, conservation in our home. So there's the energy um, uh, auditing and air sealing for reducing our heating load, but we can do a lot in terms of our electricity, and I commend the caller for, for um, how little he uses compared to the average home, which is about um, seven to 900 kilowatt hours a month. In Maine, that's a little less. It's about 600 kilowatt hours a month. But this really speaks to a topic that I'm passionate about, which is smart grid and smart homes. And so mm -hmm. although um, most people aren't going to go off grid, we're now at a, par a place in uh, with technology that you can have your grid tie home, but that is much more efficient because we have uh, smart appliances or uh, smart power management, either at the home level or at the microgrid level. And what I mean by microgrid is as um, the more and more renewables are introduced into the grid, like solar and wind, that we're moving towards a a infrastructure that is less centralized and more decentralized so that you have local communities that have solar and wind and other renewable resources along um, currently offset with 
with uh, traditional sources and that all feeds into a grid that has some smart controls. So rather than the traditional grid where um, we use as much as we want and then the grid providers bring online as, as many generators they need to meet our demand, now we're getting more smart about this where we see what is available and then we turn on and off the, the loads that need energy uh, to accommodate what's available on the grid. Mm. Mm-hmm. Let's take another call. Go ahead with your question or comment. Give us your first name and where you're calling from, please. Yeah, I got uh, David here from uh, Brooklyn. Um, and uh, it's a great show. Uh, this is what we all need to be talking about. I, you know, just to pick up where the, uh, the uh, your uh, interview person was just talking. I'm I'm suspicious. I couldn't help but notice in, in what you were saying how often the word grid came up. And uh, to me, uh, if you look at the electric bill, one of the major costs we're paying is for the grid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm concerned in this on the grid uh, thinking that we're, while we uh, seem to be uh, fostering independence, energy independence, on the local level, on the level where the individuals have to kick in the bucks and the energy and do the work, at the mega level, the big level, where the guys are out there in their boardroom still racking in the bucks, the big bucks, we're not fostering independence, and we're not fostering independence from them. And so anytime we talk about grid this and that, I am a little concerned because in the long run, the grid seems to me to be the one that's going to profit. I think that, you know, John Dunn said no man is an island. You know, uh, that's all well and good. But I think one of the things that I can take in from this excellent program is that the islands have been able to teach us something that because of our uh, addiction to being connected, uh, we're having trouble learning out here in the uh, in the grid world, uh, <laughs> I think if we could all of us behave as if we were more of an island, as if the community of Brooklyn could, for example, adopt as much as possible an island mentality as a, uh, a, a, a conscious concentration and uh, more or less withdraw from the world around us in order to uh, give our attention to how in the world we can sustain our own needs, food and energy uh, being two of them, uh, and income being another one. How are we going to keep ourselves busy while we're doing that? Well, it's pretty easy when you think about it. I mean, you know, you got to... Thank you for your call. That's that's great. R- really um, helpful to think about a, a community thinking like an island. Thanks for your call this morning from Brooklyn. Um, as we begin to, to wrap up um, the show, uh, uh, Sarah, and some of your work with young people, what are they curious about? What you know in terms of their energy use? You worked in, on Peaks Island in terms of doing kind of energy projects. What are young people thinking about? Oh, definitely. Um, what I found is that with this, the, the younger generation, um, that the, there's this whole idea of technology and how, how can teachers bring technology into this whole discussion about how do we increase energy literacy and something that COA just did. Um, I serve on, on the campus committee for sustainability and we just finished 
um, what we called the energy competition. And basically what that was is that we um, had smart meters on each of, or not smart meters, but energy monitors on each of the panels and um, on all the different dorms on campus. And we monitored um, how much electricity each of those buildings were use, using. And we, we had a competition between who could reduce their energy the most over the course of a week. And um, I think having dashboards and things like that where you can visualize how much energy am I using, how much carbon does that you know, produce, and, and what does that actually mean, and having those kind of, of conversations with students via technology, which is a medium that they're really familiar with now, um, is, is a really great way to go about about these discussions. Mm. So. so this notion of a dashboard, Anna, that you used in your, your, your kind of lecture, we see it in our automobiles. We can tell what's going on. Often we can find out how many miles per gallon we're consuming at that particular point in time. We don't have that for most of our homes. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we will, and it's already starting across college yeah. campuses, and we've installed this at COA in many of our buildings and at our farms. And it's a very useful tool to not only just show what how many kilowatt hours we've used, but as Saren said, to put that into perspective. Well, what does that mean? Comparing um, to, to another dorm or another household. Another dorm or, or uh, a group at uh, Pemetek Elementary School in Southwest Harbor. There's a, a middle school science teacher there, Bonnie Byrne, who does an incredible amount of mm -hmm. service learning with renewables. So they've installed a wind turbine at the school, solar panels at the, on the school. They've done stuff with um, no idling and... Um, also with uh, changing out all of the light bulbs for the exit signs to LEDs. And so one of the projects um, that she worked on was saying, well, if we if we changed out all of the LEDs in this room, or if we, uh, sorry, if we changed all the light bulbs to LEDs in this room, or if we turned the lights off less, how much energy would that be? And then comparing that to driving round trip to Boston. Mm -hmm. And so what's the relative difference there? So if we did all of this work across the whole school to change the amount of time the lights are on, really how big of a piece mm -hmm. of the pie is that. Yeah. Mm. And, and it's amazing how like even very young students can grasp these numbers and this the, these concepts. Um, and it's it's really wonderful to see how, you know, you can start at the elementary level and then stack all the way up to where, you know, I am right now and where Anna's teaching with, you know, the college age students and, and having the project based learning like that is really important because it get, it makes it meaningful but it also relates it back to your community. So So yeah. resources for listening and your hopes for the future. Where where do, would you want people to go to learn more, um, Anna? Well, there's, in terms of learning about SAMHSA, there is the fundformainislands.org website uh, to to see what the the great projects that were going on at um, on the islands and on MDI as well. And then there's the COA website that can lead you through some of the work that students are doing in the community and on the island. And your hopes for the future, um, first to Saren and then to Anna. What do you hope for the future? Um, I hope that uh, people um, get interested about this and get really passionate about it and take pride in even the smallest projects that they can do. Changing out a light bulb to LED is a great start. You know, if you don't feel like you're ready for an energy audit, <laughs> go ahead and change out your light bulbs, you know, great. and get ex interested in that. Anna? So, yeah. We've seen a huge shift. I've seen a shift in students coming into the college where six years ago they, they didn't have any, any energy education where they had been in high school or elementary school, and that's changing. And so we're now getting students who um, are even more educated, and I hope that continues. Great. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension. 
Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns and our sister show Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle happens on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to our guests this morning, Anna Demio and Saren Peets of College of Atlantic, Suzanne McDonald of Island Institute, and Nate Johnson of Long Island, and Gary Friedman of Bar Harbor. Thanks to all of our underwriters. Thanks to Joel Mann for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from the Hamden Farmer's Market, providing local, farm-fresh vegetables, beer and wine, artisanal cheeses, grass-fed meats, cut flowers, seedlings, baked goods, and more. Fridays from 2 to 6 p.m. at the Hamden Town Office. More information at facebook.com slash hamdenfarmersmarket or hamdenfarmersmarket.com. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Dr. Judith Orloff, author of Second Sight. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about what 